Rob, what are some of your fondest memories over the past five years of this company that's now called ProEDU? Weekends. Well, weekends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weekends where I get to spend time with my family and I'm not working. I, the, the best time. You've that's had what... weekends? I've been working seven days this whole time and you've had weekends? Oh, man, you weren't supposed to find out. I blew it. Damn it. Oh. That was my plan. Well, I, I guess there's that. Now that's, Now this is the intro commercial. Great. Uh, you want to know what's been my favorite part? What? Working with other photographers. Yeah, anyone's in particular? All of them. All because, it, you know, as a photographer, we are often very isolated. We work in our studio. A lot of photographers just work out of their home. You don't get a chance to hang out with a group of other photographers. For me, I have loved watching and learning from the photographers that are our instructors. Um, it's fascinating. It's great to see what other people are doing, the way they think, the way they handle their camera, the way they handle their light, uh, and what they, what they do to approach each subject. I love it. That's been my favorite part, honest to God. I know. It's been fantastic to work with such a wide array of photographers that do every genre and really capturing what they do, how they do it, and then putting that into the highest quality form of education that we could have come up with. We right. didn't We didn't do it the easy way. The easy way oh, would have been to film a workshop. Right. We filmed these and planned them like we would any other commercial production yeah. to create the best quality. And holy cow, was that way more expensive to do? Uh, like all the money? Oh, man. Yeah, it's been way more expensive, but it I think it's worth it because, one, we really take what's in the wheelhouse of the instructor and we break it down into a curriculum, right? Like really get a sense of what they do, but how are people, how are people, how our audience needs to digest it yeah. so that they can best put it into practice. Uh, and then film it like a documentary slash David Fincher film. And that's not an easy trick. No, it's not. It's taken us way longer which means we, we don't release things as quickly as, let's say, no. other platforms. But when we do, it's much more enjoyable to watch. The quality is insane. You and know what else the, is really amazing about it? What? The instructors really get worked. Like, they don't realize how much work it's going to be, and they all come out of here after a week of filming with us, like, just drenched in sweat. Yeah, like seven pounds lighter because they've been yeah. sweating the whole time. But they all need to get a little bit we, leaner and we, meaner, and we, we give that to them. We put them through the paces, and we make sure that they reveal every single secret of all their— All the secrets. All the secrets. You're not leaving until we have every single secret. Mm -hmm. Every one. Remember that one instructor we beat? Uh, I, uh, no, we should In the basement. Don't talk about that. Yeah, don't talk about that. All right, so now that we have this huge collection of the world's most curated library from Working yes. Pros, we made it accessible to everyone— I know. That was kind of so crazy. monthly or yearly, you can subscribe and get access to everything. Which is nuts. You're not just buying one tutorial at a time. You get it all. For one low cost. Yeah, for a deal. I bet people spend more on coffee than they do on education. Oh, no question. No question. And that's actually not a good idea because coffee doesn't increase your brain flow. No, you know, it doesn't no. make you smarter. No, it doesn't. It just makes you think it, faster and pee, quite honestly. Makes you pee a lot. Right. Diuretic. So if, if you're a photographer or if you're thinking about becoming a photographer or you just want to learn about the best photogra photographic processes in the world, yeah. go to ProEDU.com. Absolutely. You can watch all of our trailers. You can watch a lot of free content. Mm -hmm. And you can get Rob Grimm's free beer tutorial Yeah, for nada. It was pretty nice of me to give that away, wasn't it? It was. And we didn't just make something that was going to be free. We actually filmed that like we were going to sell it, and we decided afterwards that it should be free. Yeah. Because we wanted to give everyone. Actually, this is Sean's fault. Sean convinced yeah, me Sean, to do this. Yeah, he did. He did. Okay. So Why didn't I fire him right then and there? I don't know. You should have.
Welcome to the Pro EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. In this episode, we're joined with Sanjay Jogia. Is that right? That's correct. Oh, I, I well nailed it. Done, nailed Gary it. Martin. Look at us. I'm five for five on names this, it this must, season. It must be that leopard print. You're it must wearing. be. Yeah. You it's... like this? You, oh, you want to wear yeah, this, I love don't it. you? I wish it was actually furrier though, because it's just it's it's too much of a print versus like really being animal furry. Yeah, but it's good. Yeah. It's a good look for you, Sanjay. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for uh, having me. How? How do you describe your work? What type of photography do you do? So high-end wedding photography, but stylized. Um, if you go to our website, we talk about a balance between uh, what we call fantasy and reality. So with weddings, 95% is documentary. And it's just capturing things as it happens, and that's a reality. And then the fantasy element is how couples want to see their day, how they want to be seen in the future, how they want to be remembered in the future. That's kind of taking the images to another stylistic level basically so we give the couples you know kind of best of both worlds really how do you come up with this fantasy are you working hand in hand with them or are you presenting them with a series of ideas are they coming to you with ideas how do, how do these kind of stylized images come about yeah a little bit of everything i mean they they have a they have a vision of their day yeah. and it's it's kind of our job to try and understand that vision so we spend a bit of time speaking with them we'll do uh pre-wedding shoots or engagement shoots and uh, just get a feel for their limits, like how far we can take them in terms of posing and the styling and that kind of thing. But I'll have ideas. I'll, I'll have um, sort of moments of inspiration either on the shoot or before or something like that, maybe just through conversation, even just observing them on the day and just seeing how they behave. And it might trigger an idea, something that I've seen, the way they're posing, just the way the couple are together, or maybe I've just seen some light or a scene or you know like today it's snowing outside and we've got these trees and that could create you know a really ethereal feel to the to a scene mm-hmm. and we take that and we turn that into an image basically so uh yeah lots of different ways so you really pay attention to the way a couple moves the way they interact or the kind of their own natural language their own language of love i guess yeah absolutely i mean we we try and draw from our couples and their personalities um, as well as our own so you know yeah. what kind of inspires us and turns us on as artists but also it's got to work with the couple. You know, we can't create an image where if they show it to their friends and family and then they feel like, you know, they, we don't recognize them. That's then for me, the image doesn't work. Right. So the, the couple needs to be recognizable in the image as well. So it, we, we have a very fine balance that we have to try and make under pressure on the day as well. So it's uh, it's a great challenge, but it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, when we can actually pull something off that, uh, you know, the, the couples love and their family and their friends love, it's uh, it's a great feeling. How'd you get started out? Wow. Okay. So as a background, I'm an architect. Oh. Um, So qualified, I was practicing. My wife uh, was in finance. We set the business up 10 years ago. But I got into photography because my father used to work at the Kodak factory, the local Kodak factory, making film. Oh, cool. Oh, how cool is that? So, yeah, I just kind of grew up with the whole Kodak and the whole photography thing going on. And uh, Kodak were great with, you know, the families of all their employees. They would get us involved in you know, like events and workshops and things like this. So the kids would be invited in for like Christmas pantomimes and they'd teach us photography and teach us how to develop film in the darkroom and that sort of thing. So I, I got started very early on. And um, I suppose my real passion for it came from uh, raiding my dad's wardrobe and taking his 
it was this Canon AE1. I was like maybe eight, eight, nine years old, something yeah. like this. And I've always been a geek. So I took the manual and read it cover to cover. As an eight year old, that's awesome. As an eight year old, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I just, it just made sense to me. You know, it's, it's a machine that just did what I asked it to do. And I had access to a lot of film which is cool, yeah. you know, so yeah. I could shoot and my dad would develop it and I would just practice and I just learned my own style like this, really. And it was with me all the way through my education, university. I used to use photography for my, um, my presentation uh, during the architectural training. We used to have to build models and things like mm -hmm. this. And we would take it to a light lab or I'd take it to the roof of the building and shoot the model against the sky with my, my, my AE1. I still had it then. And uh, made a little business out of it here and there. Other students would ask me to kind of shoot their models too so they could use it for their presentations. And it just kind of progressed. Um, in terms of weddings, though, um, friends and family would ask me to shoot their events because they kind of, they saw my work over the years. They saw my photography and they saw that I had a, a different eye, you know, that I would see things in a different way. Maybe that's the architectural influence. I don't know. Mm. Um, and then it just snowballed from there. So my wife and I, we set the business up. We were both working full time. We were doing this at weekends for the first year and there was a lot of demand. So uh, we decided to go four day weeks in the office and we gave the business one more day and this kind of progressed and we gave it three day weeks. And this is within a year and a half. And then three day weeks, it was, it was generating so much demand that we had to quit our jobs Wow. Yeah. and uh, just give the photography business its own time. And then it just continued to build and build and build. How are you able to be an architect? Three days a week. That seems like a it was seven tough. days a week. It was it was job. tough. Yeah, I mean, ironically, the the recession helped because sure. the architectural mm -hmm. industry was kind of on its knees at that point. Um, so, you know, there was some free time in the office basically, and um, what it meant was I could actually focus on doing the thing that it turns out I genuinely loved, um, and being my own boss as well, which is amazing. So where I was working, I was an associate, but, you know, I was still working within that environment and I didn't have the complete freedom that I have now as my own, you know, business, as a business owner and as a photographer. Was it difficult for you to give that up because you've gone through school and, you know, become certified and, and working as a professional architect and now you're putting it all aside? Was that, was that a difficult decision for you or was it so natural? Surprisingly, no. Yeah. The thing is that I, when I decided, when I made the decision to quit my job, I had really let it run its course. Um, and my wife was getting really frustrated because she quit a job way before, like a year before I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, just, she just wanted me to leave. And I wanted to make sure that I left no stone unturned. And when I actually left, that I didn't want to look back. And, you know, when I actually resigned, I was pretty fed up of what I was doing, actually. And it wasn't anything else. Not, I didn't fall out of love with architecture. I just fell out of love with that job and being an employee. So, um, yeah, I, I quit and just didn't look back really. And we took the photography business and ran with it. So how are you getting, you know, jobs? Was it referrals in the early days and how are you just winning business? Yeah, good question. Um, so referrals for sure. Uh, that's kind of how it came about because friends would tell other friends that, you know, check out Sanjay's work because, you know, it's different and, you know, whatever else. And, um, we used to market. So using social media, 10 years ago, it was Facebook. Facebook started to really come into its own for photographers, I think about 10 years ago. Yeah. It became more image-based um, and less of a glorified Twitter. And uh, it's kind of evolved in that direction. I think it's become very strong for, you know, it's very image-based, isn't it? Yeah. So we use social media a lot. We um, advertised in magazines. 
and we didn't really do any wedding shows at the start. I, th I think we did one at the very beginning. We never did them again for like another eight years. Um, so yeah, after that, it was just word of mouth. We would do a wedding. We would market at the wedding. People would see what we did. They would refer us to their friends. And it just, again, just continued to snowball from there. How has your pricing changed over the years? How, how did you know when to change your pricing? Yeah, that's a tough one. For me, it's always been a tough one because I've always been the creative. And there is this fear, I think, in all photographers that if they put their pricing up, that they're never going to get any work. And my wife, being from a financial background, she understood it completely. So she would raise the prices at least twice a year. And I would freak out the first couple of times she did it. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Like, if you do this, um, we're going to price ourselves at. And it took me a little while to get to understand where, where her mind was at. Mm -hmm. And her thinking is that when we raise our prices, we are deliberately pricing ourselves out of a sector and putting ourselves in the next. So yes, we are going to lose those clients. But that's because we want the clients who appreciate what we do, the, the clients who will spend for quality, not just because they want a guy with a camera. And it just kind of evolved in that way as well. So year by year, she puts the prices up, still maybe once or twice a year, she kind of increases it, nudges it up. So yeah, it, what it means is that we still have to have all the inquiries come in and the conversion rate might be lower, but the quality of the conversions are higher. So it means that we can shoot sort of 20 weddings, I say 20 weddings, 20 Indian weddings, which are quite big, you know, the sort right. of multiple days. They're celebrations. Yeah, exactly. You know, but like tw 20 Indian couples would be like 70 to 80 shoots in a year, which is wow. pretty serious. Yeah. Um, but again, the scale, the color, the, uh, the, all the ceremonies, just the energy that goes with it, the, it gives us so much potential to create incredible imagery. You know, it's just there. We're, we're overloaded with it. So, you know, we're spoiled, you know, we get to create some amazing, uh, you know, high impact images uh, with very little, I say very little effort. You have, know, you, have you shot many or any non-Indian weddings? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, out of the 20 in the year, I'd say maybe two or, two or three are non-Indian. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, Indian weddings are quite a big, all-encompassing yeah, statement. It's pageantry, you know? yeah, yeah, it's pageantry, celebration. Absolutely. They're monstrous events. Indeed. And even within that, there were like the different religions. So it would be like Hindu, Sikh, Muslim, and then yeah. variations in between as well. So it's it's a broad spectrum, really broad spectrum. It sounds like the the relationship with your wife has really helped push your business. And it, it sounds like from reading your your bio, you two have a great love story. Yeah, tell absolutely. tell us about your love story, how you two came to be, you know, in the first place, and then how this transition into into working together has made you guys such a successful force. She's gonna hate me for telling the story. Um, Good, tell it. So we first met at university. Now, she didn't actually go to my uni. So in my second year, her sister came to my uni to study pharmacy. She was there for like a year. But during Freshers' Week, my wife, Roshni, just came with her sister, Kilna, to party. That's what she was there for. And we met during that week. Um, so it turns out she doesn't remember me from that. Um, <laughs> but I remember a good her. impression, I, did you? I, it seems that way. <laughs> well, she married me in the end. Yeah. So maybe it was just subconscious. But... Uh, um, then I didn't see her for a few years and I saw her again with her sister on the, on, on the underground, maybe a few years later while we we're in London. And, um, the, it, it was a role reversal because she remembered me and I didn't remember seeing her. So we kind of have this little thing going on that, you know, playing hard to get. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, we just kind of got back in touch again. It was my 25th birthday. 
hired a boat in London. We did a boat party up and down the Thames. I just called a whole lot of friends I hadn't seen in years. So I called these guys over and uh, yeah, we just headed off there basically. So we started dating and uh, a couple of years later we got married basically. So we'd known each other for a long while before we'd actually kind of got together. And um, she's always been highly driven, very focused, a um, bit of a go-getter. So I'm kind of, I'm quite relaxed and she's kind of a little bit more charged. So we kind of balance each other out. You know, it's a real yin-yang relationship there. So works quite well. Do you guys shoot anything other than weddings? Do you do commercial work, editorial, or is it just weddings? Yeah, no, I do some editorial work. I've shot some front covers for a magazine, a uh, London-based uh, luxury business magazine. Um, I love photographing cars. So whenever, whatever chance I get to photograph cars, I'm there. So, um, in fact, I entered a, an image of a car, of a Lamborghini, rare Lamborghini, um, at WPPI, which won an award and was also a finalist. So it came third overall in the category at WPPI, which is quite cool. So, um, yeah, if, you, if you've seen any of my bios or know anything about me, there's three things I love, which is photography, cars, and architecture. And, um, yeah, th this is how I kind of satisfy the, the car mm -hmm. love is driving them and photographing them. So have you gotten into architecture photography at all or thought about it? Yeah. Seems no, like I, a natural progression. Yeah, I actually did some. When I was practicing as an architect, I used to do a lot of our marketing stuff for the developments that we did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I always had the photography in, you know, I bought a tilt shift lens and I was shooting with a uh, 5D at the time, uh, the 5D Mark One. And uh, did some stuff for my practice and some some other clients and that kind of thing. But I enjoy it, but it doesn't turn me on like photographing people or cars. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, photographing people, there's so much stimulus there. You know, a lot of emotion. Everyone's different. The expressions, just the energy uh, that you get from meeting a big crowd of people in that um, high emotion, high tension environment. It's... It's just loaded. Mm -hmm. um, photographing buildings is a little bit more relaxing. It's kind of like therapy, if anything. But I prefer to photograph cars just because, you know, again, it's 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 still, it's calm. I can take complete control of it. I can create the environment that I need for that image. And that's, it's just a beautiful thing. So, A lot of photographers start with weddings and then a lot of them drop out. How do you think you've been able to, to stay interested and successful in, in wedding photography? That's a good question. I think a lot of, well, just to go back to why a lot of people drop out, that's, I think a lot of people get into it because they think they can do it. Um, and they, they get into it without really realizing just how intense photographing weddings is. And I don't just mean on the day, I mean the work afterwards as well. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of marketing to do. There's a lot of people to compete with. And um, it's a big marketplace. And I think a lot of people price themselves incorrectly and they can't maintain, they can't sustain their business model because they end up having to work more and more for less and less because their strategy is to maybe undercut other people in the industry and that's not the way to do it. And actually the way our strategy has been is to, um, well, keep raising our prices for a start, but then we have to develop our work and our, our ethos and our style and our, our position in the market in terms of um, our brand image within the industry We're, and also within the greater industry, not just within wedding, the wedding photography industry, but also the just overall imaging industry as well. It's, it's placing ourselves um, so that we're considered to be high-end, to be something that's reputable, have a, a strong 
work ethic and a strong brand ethos and really try and send a good message out there about what photographers should be doing, how they should be performing as professionals um, and as creatives as well. So, you know, I, I get to I get to judge at SWPP and WPPI, you know, which is a great honor. We get to see some amazing, uh, amazing work from all over the world. And we have the opportunity to help kind of steer um, artists to be better people and be better photographers and be more professional and really protect the industry. And that's yep. the thing. Um, a lot of people get into business for themselves, for business, to generate cash flow, which is understandable. But very few take on the, the ethos of protecting the industry. And I think that's something that needs to sort of be... Be edu- you know, people need that that education. Yeah, that, and that's a huge problem all the way across photography. Yeah. It doesn't matter what sector you're, you're you're photographing. There are so many people that don't protect uh, the business, and they you're right. They're they're in it to kind of undercut somebody else and for cash flow, but they wind up burning themselves out because they're working themselves to death. Absolutely, spinning their wheels. Yeah. How much of your cash flow comes from selling prints and books after the wedding? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's another big one actually. I think a lot of people could do with some education on. So I'm a fundy ambassador, um, so. For those of you guys who don't know, Fundy Software make um, an album design software. And uh, the quote is, you can design an album in 15 minutes, which is amazing. A lot of people don't actually even sell or design albums because it takes them too long. And um, there's huge upsells, there's huge margins that can come from that because um, there's a lot of great products out there which are relatively inexpensive, but then obviously you put your own work into it to bring the value to that product. So there's a cost of production for that book but you bring the value in terms of your brand your imagery and what that represents as a story for the couple to enjoy to you know it becomes a, a legacy for them to pass on to their kids and their grandkids and uh, i think done well there's huge potential for um you know print sales so i think most of us comes from albums rather than say wall art uh, I think in the UK that's kind of the culture. I think in the States there's more more of a culture of set, being able to upsell wall art, which is amazing, and it hasn't quite made it to the UK yet. Um, but I, you know, easily another twenty twenty five percent on the initial investment can come from album upsells. You know, and that's quite a big chunk if you're pricing correctly. What do you think that is? You guys don't put anything on the wall here. I don't know. No space for it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm still trying to figure that one out myself. Um, if I can crack that, then that's great. You know, it'll be great for the. Uh, the cash flow as well because you know it's another you know revenue stream don't get me wrong people do love their wall art but i think they i think over here it's it's more about value for money in terms of being able to get more for your money um i I was just talking to one of the funding guys earlier on about property in the uk compared to the states you guys get so much more for your money in terms of space yeah um Oh, so yeah. space is a premium over here. So you know everyone's trying to get the most they can out can out of their investment, basically, and it's the same thing for everything. Um, you know taxes are high over here. We pay a lot for fuel and all this sort of thing. Um, so when it comes to the choice between spending, say two thousand pounds on an album or two thousand pounds on say two or three pieces of wall art, people would go for the album because they feel like they're getting more for it. So it's I think it's that kind of mindset, but maybe maybe it'll shift. Who knows? We'll we'll have to keep an eye on that. Indian weddings are these multi-day celebrations. What are the biggest challenges that you face in photographing a family and a you know a couple over those days? What comes at you that's difficult to deal with? 
logistics. It's they're huge. That they they can be like sixteen hours long. Um, it's a long day. To it's be a really long day. And with you know, the camera in front of your eye. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, we're we're carrying around around a lot of equipment. And I don't travel light when it comes to equipment. I kind of take as much as I can, just because if I think of an idea, I just want the equipment there to be able to kind of make the image work. Um, but there's a lot to squeeze in. You think, okay, there's going to be a wedding one day on on one day and the reception that same evening. What could go wrong? But like the there could be a delay from the start with the bride getting ready, you know, with the makeup and the the ceremony could take too long or something like this. And it's a little bit in the middle where we've got to do the portraits with a couple that always suffer. So we try and spend as much time as we can with the couple to help kind of schedule and program the day mm-hmm. so that we can try and protect that time to uh, to do the portraits afterwards. So that's the thing I think we struggle with. We want That's our chance to create some really beautiful hero images. And... A one-hour session could become 15 minutes just, you know, that's without even thinking about yeah. it just because things are overrunning. So, yeah, I would say logistics, if anything. Do you charge by the hour or is it just always based on the wedding? Um, so we, we, have, we have a pricing structure that basically our collections are um, in hourly mod. When I say hourly modules, we kind of like eight, five, eight and 12-hour modules. So 12 hours is the biggest one, but then they can bolt extra hours on if they need to. Um, rather than doing um, charging by the hour initially because it could become very expensive. Uh, if we do it this way, it kind of forces the couple to work within the structure and also just plan their day a little bit better. And they know that if they need to bolt hours on afterwards, it's going to be at a higher rate. So it's kind of a penalty in a way. It kind of forces them to try and be, you know, sort of well-planned on the day. Um, but I just, I just feel that if... You can create a structure, um, a very transparent structure of pricing. There's more trust. Sure. Um, and they just let you get on with what you need to do. If it's by the hour, then they become nervous. And they don't enjoy the process. They don't enjoy the process of being photographed. They won't be enjoying the day because they're just thinking about the, the hours racking yeah. up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the, clo- the costs racking up. So Weddings are expensive. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Why are weddings so damn expensive? There's a lot to One, do. One, there's so many people involved. Lots of guests, lots lots to do. Yeah, it's a big deal. Lots of food, lots of drinks. You got to feed everybody. Decor. You got to get them drunk. Yeah, yeah. and uh, even venues. I mean, venues have um, in London again very high fees um, for their services because they bring a lot to the table as well. When you when you hire the venue, um, even the dry high will come with some people and manpower and some logistics and that sort of thing. Um, and again, space is at a premium here. So if you have an Indian wedding with like 700 people, you have to, wow, you have to, that's a huge, yeah, you have to put them somewhere. So there are very few places that can accommodate large numbers in London. Um, so they can command a bigger fee, but then all these things add up. So if the wedding tends to be at, uh, say something like Grosvenor house in London, which can take a thousand people, uh, around tables, then you've got a bigger space to decorate. You have more to do, more flowers, more food, more people. And, it just goes up exponentially. Yeah. So, so is that more for you to document as well? Do you have to have additional photographers to help you? If you if there are a thousand people at a wedding, that's a huge number of people in attendance. Yeah. How much of that do you have to cover, or are you really just going kind of going after the fantasy thing and like this is what we do? No, I mean that's that's what we put out there, but in reality, we've got to document everything. Um, so actually, this venue I mentioned, Grosvenor House, we shot a wedding there which had twelve hundred people. And wow. um, it was it was a it was a big industry event. So it was the daughter of one of the biggest 
uh, caterers in the UK, um, Indian caterers in the UK. And uh, it was kind of a who's who event. So there were a lot of VIPs there and they were spread out throughout the space. And I needed a team where I could actually just split people up into zones. I had to kind of work at it like this, where certain people would just cover a zone and that's for them to deal with what comes out of that area during the speeches, the first dance, the you know, all the entertainment, all that kind of stuff to get the reactions and people interacting and mingling and that sort of thing. And we'd pull all of that stuff together. But the guys I work with, um, they've been working with me for a long while, so they understand my style and kind of what I see and how I see things and kind of my demands um, in terms of storytelling and, and style because consistency across the images is, is very important to me. I can't imagine how expensive a wedding for 1,200 people must be. I don't know what that figure was in the end. I'd love to find out. God, right? Let's talk about gear. You said you you have a lot of it. What do you shoot? What are your lights? What are your Wow, okay. What do I begin? So I'm a Canon man. Um, I shoot with Canon 1DXs, 1DX Mark IIs. Yeah. Uh, So all Canon L-series lenses, like 15 of them. Um, So lots of camera bags. and. So you're changing primes quite a bit. I always have a 7200 on me. That's okay. my favorite lens. And the other camera I'll switch between maybe a 51.2 and a 2470 or a 24 prime, 24 1.4. Those are kind of my favorite lenses. Um, lights wise, I have like nine Canon speed lights. Um, and there's a reason for this. And when we're shooting these big events, um, see, I don't like on-camera flash. I don't like the direct flat feel of it. Even if you're bouncing, I just don't really like it. So I'll always shoot off camera. So I'll have the speed lights on stands around the room in different zones, different groups. And, um, you know, I'll, ha- I'll have them working as and when I need to. Uh, I also use pro photos. So using B1s and um, an old, it's called an acute B600. Oh, yeah. So it looks like a car battery with a, with a cable yeah. and a light coming off it. Acutes. Yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's a great piece of kit and it just, keeps going so yeah pro photos last forever. yeah absolutely so i just still use it and a ton of modifiers to go with that um you've got a couple of lupos in this room so i i use uh the, the smaller lupos um the day led 1000s yeah which are great for uh these events because particularly with indian weddings uh hindu weddings in particular where the ceremony happens under a canopy and a lot of emphasis is put into kind of decorating the room and illuminating the room and that sort of thing there's never any lights in the canopy. So I always have to end up sort of mounting these lupos inside the canopy. So you can hide them. Yeah, and I hide them because they sit high up behind the, the kind of the drapes and that sort of thing. So A, the guests can see them and B, you know, we can shoot with continuous light, which is cool. And if there's a cinema team on the, on the site that day as well, then they're happy because they've got continuous lights. So yeah, loads of stuff. I just keep it with me because if I think of an idea, I just want to be able to pull something out and shoot yeah. with it. It sounds like you have an opportunity to actually be more involved with the couple in the planning stages of the wedding. There's so much that goes into what you're doing versus a typical wedding, at least what I think of a typical typical wedding photographer is just kind of along for the ride and documenting it. Um, how much influence, when you're talking about you know being in the kind of planning sessions with these people, how much influence do you have on helping them plan their wedding? Yeah, a certain amount. I mean, we, we plant that seed. Quite early on during the consultation, the initial consultation, we'll, we'll tell them that, uh, you know, use our experience. You know, we know what works and what doesn't work. We've seen things go really well and things go really badly. And you should, you, you know, you're paying for the expertise, use the expertise. So when they're actually writing their schedule in the first place, 
we'll just say to them, look, come over, send us a copy of it, and we'll run through it with a fine-tooth comb, and we'll see where there's room for movement and improvement. And if there's anywhere that we can actually free up some time, the more time they can free up for their portrait session, the better, because I know that that's the one thing that always suffers. And if we free up 20 minutes, and then the day runs 20 minutes late, then we're, we're cool, we're even. So we try and protect that time as much as possible. It doesn't always work because other things, you know, there are other external forces, other external factors that we can't help. Um, but we're always trying to help the couple to make their day easier as much as possible. And it feeds back into what we do. It makes our lives easier as well if they have less of a hectic yeah, day, you yeah, know. Right. Wedding photographers always have the craziest stories. So what's the, what's the craziest thing that's happened during a shoot? Oh, man. Anything come to mind? Maybe I've become numb to it. I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff that happens. I mean, we, we've had weddings at noon in Dubai uh, in October when it was like 40 Celsius. And the priest insisted that we push the wedding back a couple of hours because it was just too hot. And it, what it, and it means that later in the day, we were shooting directly into the sun. Yeah. Um, and everyone was just dying of heat exhaustion. You know, like the guests were just sitting there dripping and we were running around in the sun us and the cinema team you know just about to collapse that was crazy i had um a wedding once where everyone thought at the end of the ceremony the bride's father was having a heart attack but he wasn't he just fainted um because yeah, he just that's scary he was just overwhelmed he's just overcome with emotion that his his only daughter was leaving home and they got really emotional everyone was bawling their eyes out just crying and um Everyone was really scared because he'd suffer, suffered a heart attack about nine months before or something. Oh, and uh, yeah, he just he just kind of passed out and everyone freaked out. So um, yeah, what else? That's probably, that's probably the craziest one when you think someone's, you what, know. What's the most embarrassing thing that you've done as a photographer? You ever messed up big? Do you want to share? Have I ever messed up big? Like fallen into the wedding cake or? Ripped a bride or ripped anything. your pants. <laughs> I've ripped my pants. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. Do you bring a spare pair of pants? No, I probably should do. Um, <laughs> I've done it twice now. I think once I got it snagged on something, and the other time I just I launched into a position to just try and get a photograph, and then I heard the rip, and I just closed my eyes and I thought, just carry on, just ignore it. Um, so that's happened a few times. I think I've just become numb to these things because, yeah. you know, when you go when you go shoot a wedding. It's it's kind of like you put yourself in a situation where things can go wrong and you know things are going to go wrong and you just roll with it. You just deal with it and you move on. Um, have I, I've never done anything. With, I've never fallen into a cake. I, I, I know someone who has, um, but I won't mention his name. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a refund situation. Yeah, totally. That's a bad one. Yeah, Ooh. that's a bad one. Um, I've been in a situation where one of the video guys tripped on a cable and cut all the power during the party oh wow but that wasn't us um i don't know i think my team are pretty professional yeah. what do you what do you enjoy most about this what is, what's the most rewarding part of what you do being able to record for life um people you know everyone's individual everyone's unique everyone has feelings and emotions everyone's human and it's being able to record humanity, people. You know, we're, we're the scribes of our time, all photographers. Right. Um, and, you know, we're, we're in a very fortunate position where we get to capture this once-in-a-lifetime event 
uh, where families come together, which doesn't always happen, you know, from around the world, um, in a situation where people are happy and they're celebrating, and it's you get to see the full spectrum of emotions, um, and you know, it's the start of a family at that point. It's yeah. it, it's the start of someone's family history at that point. And it's something they'll cherish for the rest of their lives and they'll show to their kids and they'll show to their grandkids. And um, yeah, it becomes a record for life, doesn't it? So I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, we're honored to be in that position, absolutely. You mentioned a video team. Do you source that out and are you selling the video too or is that something completely Yeah, different? so we started cinema like two years ago. Okay. Um, so we have our own team for that. And um, the reason we didn't start that sooner was because my wife and I, we had it in our heads that once we started cinema, the style had to match our style of photography. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. And it's it's not easy to do, right? There's a lot of guys out there who will do photo and cinema, and, and I think it, they f it's difficult to you know achieve that that kind of um, union yeah. between yeah. the the photography and the cinematography. Um, we sort of demonstrated that with a little project we did for a couple with Canon. They lent me two prototype 1DX Mark IIs when just before they were launched. And um, we did this fusion project. We fused photo and cinema together. Uh, and this was at a pre-wedding shoot we did in Rome. And it was kind of telling the story of the couple and what happened with their engagement. The bride was running. She actually missed her plane to go to Rome from London and nearly missed the whole date where he was going to propose. So we kind of <laughs> told that whole story and we, we used this kind of fusion technique. Um, so that's quite cool. And th that's for us to be able to demonstrate that we can do this that to the point that you know, we can actually have our images and the cinema together in, in one production. So um, that kind of launched the cinema for us, that project. So what's next? What do you have in the next six months that you're looking forward to? Wow, well, wedding season kicks off for us. Oh, yeah. Pretty much now, straight after this photography convention in Birmingham. Um, so it's blackout season. It's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that happens uh, because you have the post-production to finish from last year, album designs and that kind of thing. Um, we're meeting new clients for 2019 and 2020. Oh, wow. wow. That's far um, out. That, yeah, you worked that far in advance. Yeah, we, get, we tend to get booked out typically 12 months in advance. Um, but I think a lot of people are eager to try and get rates, 2018 rates for 2020, mm -hmm. um, especially for people like us and venues and caterers and that sort of thing who keep raising their prices. Um, Got some interesting shoots coming up. Got one coming up in Marrakesh next oh, month, which is cool. going to be cool. Um, and I'm looking forward to trying out the Profoto A1s out there. So uh, that's going to be interesting. How much? How many of the weddings do you shoot are actually destination versus here in London? Yeah, it kind of fluctuates year by year. But I would say maybe 20, 25% typically a year are destination. Um, and that's all over the world. I mean, all over Europe, India, America... Um, you know, I've shot weddings in Miami, Houston. Um, we've shot in Jaipur. Actually, we're going to be shooting in Jaipur in India again this year and Udaipur as well um, at the palaces. Um, we get to shoot all over Europe all the time. So, yeah, in that not sense. Not a bad life. Yeah, it sounds great. It's a good thing. You it's not a, a oh, it's not a bad life. No, yeah. not at all. Can't complain. Can't complain. Yeah. We get to see the world in what we're doing as well. So that's yeah. cool. We get to meet some great people. The networking is amazing too. You know, just... You know the the friendships we make with our couples are are priceless as well. So they're not just guys who, you know, come they book us and they 
get a service and then they never see us again we you know we actually keep in touch with our couples and manage to make friends which is yeah, cool. you've got a genuine love for what you do it really shows yeah that's, thank that's you. a nice thing to podcasting see podcasting at wedding we could be going all over the world like this guy <laughs> yeah is one that a thing you want to take us with you wedding podcasting is that, can we start <laughs> you're that? more than welcome we'd have the you're more market than cornered we could yeah think about it so it it we, would be, be like broadcasters. It's yeah, like we'll, play by play of what? Yeah, we'll get the mom and dad. We'll get them in there talking about you know their son-in-law, whether could they, be they like. Yeah, them, like I think them. you yeah, guys would become the... a couple of like wrestling commentators because <laughs> weddings are yeah. like that. You know, they're literally blow by blow. Yeah, you know, you, you'd be sitting <laughs> yeah. there just kind of the, the the tone will be getting more and more tense as you go along. Um, I mean, fun. yeah, w- Indian weddings are, are are intense. They are intense. Yeah. Um, they're hard work, but you know, it's we get to travel. But it doesn't come with without its stresses, you know. Like I, taking our equipment abroad for me is one of the biggest stress, you know, biggest oh, stresses. Yeah. It's customs. I, not so much. I just worry about everything turning up in one piece at the other end because, oh, sure. like, all out. the fragile stuff goes in with me. Um, and we always go in a big team, and we always take extra baggage with us as well. So things like lenses, uh, bodies, you know, the pro photos, that sort of stuff, will go on carry on. So we can take, you know, we can't take much of our own stuff as a result. Yeah. And all the stuff that gets checked in are things like stands and chargers and accessories and other bits and pieces. And um, spare pants. Yeah, uh, clothes. If yeah. there's space, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, you know, there have been times where we've had to buy stuff at the other end just because we didn't have the, the luggage space to take our own things. Um, and we just leave it there afterwards because we don't have the space to bring it back. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's cool. You know, it's, uh, you can't you can't complain about that kind of stuff when you have the opportunity to shoot in amazing places with amazing people um and the opportunities to create that kind of imagery to go with it you know right. so yeah we're blessed well tell people where you want them to go to check out your work okay so my website is com. that's e-y-e-j-o-g-i-a.com um, i'm also on facebook as sanjay jogia and also facebook um the facebook page is ijogia so facebook uh, forward slash ijogia and instagram is also instagram forward slash ijogia so check wow. us out yeah yeah check this guy out your work is absolutely stunning thank you yeah. it, it, you take wedding photography to a whole new level thank you very much yeah. thank you so that. much for the conversation yeah, yeah, for wonderful. Having me. it was a pleasure to download this podcast and the entire season seven here at the photography show in birmingham birmingham how are we saying birmingham 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 <laughs> Go to rdgedupodcast.com and also subscribe to us on iTunes where we publish a new episode every Wednesday. Hump day. Hump day. Peace. So, Gary, what's your favorite part of this company? Uh, My favorite part of the company is every single day is completely different. Pretty much. We're working, we're always working on a completely different tutorial. We're always working on a completely different way to present the education, record the education. Right. And make it even better. Looking back, you know, at our first few tutorials compared to the, what we do now, completely different. Yeah. Completely different. It's the evolution of us, which you can see in those tutorials, right? Absolutely. It's kind of cool. And now we've made all of our tutorials accessible under the streaming platform what? of ProEDU.com. What? Yeah. No, we haven't. Yeah. Any device, mobile device, computer, you want to stream it to your, your Apple TV, you can do it monthly. You can do yearly. How about your Motorola one, Razor? No, you can't do that. Rob, we've been over this. We've been over this. Hey, we talked about a Motorola Flip, not a Razor. Oh, that's true. The Razor, you can stream it on the Razor. Can you really? If you still have, no. <laughs> What's wrong with you? It's a long list. Go to ProEDU.com if you're not yet a subscriber. 
check out subscriptions, watch some of our content, and learn from working pros, and that's going to make you a better photographer and retoucher. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why would you not subscribe? I don't know. I don't know. Crazy. EDU is now unlimited. Get access to every single tutorial. Sign up at ProEDU.com today. What about you? I'll take comfort in that. This podcast is officially over. See you next time. Never stop learning.